Hello and welcome to Let's Get Sexy, the podcast where I read an erotic story and you listen to it. You're joining us for Series 6 of the podcast where I'm reading the story Undercover Stripper by UK underscore writer underscore 53. This is Episode 6, so I'm going to be reading Chapter 6. If you haven't listened to Episodes 1 to 5 in this series, then I recommend that you go back and listen to those first. But for those of you who are fully up to date, here's a brief recap of what happened last time. It was actually quite a simple chapter to summarise, and there are basically three key things to take away. Number one, Jess finally had sex with Markov, and Tom watched the whole affair from inside a cupboard in Markov's office. Number two, during the sex, Jess learned the name of the big boss, Frank Harwood, the man at the centre of the triangle. (laughs) And number three, even though both Tom and Jess felt like their marriage must be over after what had happened in Markov's office, they were able to reconcile with each other and they had hot makeup sex as soon as they got home. And we left the couple in a post-coital glow, considering ordering pizza and opening a bottle of wine. And I'm pretty sure that's exactly where we're going to resume the story in chapter 6. As usual, I haven't read this chapter ahead of time. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm expecting it to be another really good chapter after last week. Statistically speaking, it has 7.6 thousand words. It's got a 4.75 star rating, which means it is labelled H for hot. It's had 10,000 views, 18 likes, and there are 13 comments for us to go through at the end. Before I begin, I want to mention the existence of the Patreon page. There's a link in the description. £5 a month helps to support producing weekly episodes of this podcast. It pays for things like the equipment I use. It helps to justify the time I spend. And I would really appreciate your support, if you can afford it. I'll be back at the end for some analysis and the comments section. Until then, please enjoy Chapter 6 of Undercover Stripper. Tom had poured their drinks and was in the process of ordering a pizza when Jess eventually joined him in the living room. Having slipped on clean panties and a long baggy t-shirt after showering and cleaning herself up, she felt a little better about the afternoon's events. Not wanting to interrupt his conversation, she dropped onto the settee next to him and snuggled in against her husband, waiting until he'd finished. We got a 45 minute wait, he informed her as he disconnected the call. She didn't answer and just sat quietly studying him, thinking about his reaction to Markov fucking her. He had said that he still loved her, but she couldn't help but wonder if things had gone too far. Did he really still want her? What if she had to do it again? Had he meant it when he told her how much it had aroused him? It really turned you on, like you said, she said finally, her voice little more than a whisper as she gazed at her husband questioningly. What did? Tom asked. 
Watching another man have me like that, watching me come on his cock like I did, it really turned you on, she continued, her eyes never leaving his face. Yeah, it did. And, look, I'm sorry. I was angry and jealous too. But most of all, I was aroused. Putting the phone down, he looked at her and nodded miserably. You were right when you said we never should have started this. Don't be sorry. We said we had to be honest about it all, and it's important that we are, Jess reminded him. And there's no point crying over it now. We're committed, for better or worse. Tom paused and thought about it for a second. What about you? You enjoyed fucking him, didn't you? You certainly came enough. The question was delivered with more venom than he intended. I mean, yes, physically it was amazing, but it was still just sex. It could have been anyone, she snapped at him, a little taken aback by his tone. I was so turned on by the time he had me, I would have come like that whatever. Sorry, babe. I'm still... still processing everything that's happened, her husband responded quickly. Jess smiled. It's okay. Me too. It's all been a bit of a shock. How I felt and everything. Tom took a sip of his beer. And what about tomorrow? He won't let it go with just the one shag. He thinks you're his girlfriend now. He'd probably want you to spend the night. You're right, Jess agreed with him, picking up her glass and taking a mouthful from it. But hopefully, I'll have a plan. And anyway, we got the information we wanted. He smiled. You did. But that just raises another question. Exactly who the hell is Frank Harwood? That's one for tomorrow. Tonight, it's just about us. Please? Jess asked. Okay, he agreed with a grin. But what about tomorrow evening? If I can't think of anything else, I'll phone in sick. Tell them I have my period or something. Frowning, she thought about how she could get out of work the following night if she had to. I can't strip if I have a tampon in me, can I? And me? He looked at her, raising an eyebrow inquisitively. If I don't go in, they'll suspect we're together. And anyway, after you left, he warned me off you. That's true. Jessica looked thoughtful. I guess you'll have to go in if I don't, but I'm not sleeping with him again. Ever. Tom grinned again, this time with relief. I'm pleased to hear it. I wouldn't want you getting fucked like that every day. You'd go off me. Never. I love you, his wife told him, meaning it. I've told you that, but there might be... others. I love you too, and I guess we'll have to deal with the others if and when they occur. It's more likely to be when rather than if, I think, said Jessica, leaning up to kiss him. Yeah, probably, Tom reluctantly agreed with her, his heart sinking slightly at the thought of what else they might have to endure. So, I think that maybe we need to go out for a drink tomorrow lunchtime. Then I can have a word with Danny Brooks. He looked at her with a puzzled expression on his face. Why, have you got a plan? Jess tapped the side of her nose. You just wait and see. But there's no way I'm going to be Gregor Markov's girlfriend and whore. Maybe not his, but maybe someone else's. Someone like Danny Brooks, Tom thought. But he didn't say it. With the discussion over for the moment, they cuddled up on the sofa to spend the rest of the evening together in front of the television. The only interruption, the delivery of a large deep pan pizza, which they consumed along with the rest of the bottle of wine. Jessica woke first the following morning, feeling quite stiff and more than a little sore between her legs. She couldn't remember ever having been fucked like she had the day before, first by Gregor Markov in the club and then by her husband when they got home. It was still early and the sun was barely up, so she slipped quietly out of bed and after a visit to the bathroom, she headed to the kitchen. She was seated at the table, working on her laptop with a mug of coffee, when her husband finally emerged from the bedroom. "'You were up early,' he said, standing in the doorway and leaning against the frame. 
Looking across at him nervously when he entered the kitchen, she felt her pulse rate jump several notches. Despite what he had told her the previous evening, she was still terrified that he might not want her anymore. Hi, she said, hesitating and biting her lip anxiously. Are we still, you know, okay? Tom leaned over and kissed the top of her head. We will be, when I get a coffee, he joked. She gave an audible sigh of relief, her heart rate slowing. I just wondered that maybe you, you might have, you know, changed your mind. He sat down opposite her with his coffee. Jessica, I will never change my mind about you. If anyone's going to do any changing, it'll have to be you. She looked at him with total relief in her eyes and started to cry again, a few tears running down her cheeks until she wiped them away, giving him a small grin. I'll never change the way I feel about you, she said. So, what's the plan for today then, said Tom, thinking he needed to change the subject before he ended up dragging her back to bed. Jessica turned back to her laptop. I've been looking. There's not much at all about any Frank Harwood online. No social media, no references, nothing at all. He frowned thoughtfully. Hmm, I guess I'll have to check on the police database. How about the other guy? Oh yes, Danny Brooks. Well, that's different. He's the licensee at the three bars that Deluxe Entertainment own. Again, no social media, but he was arrested a few years back for GBH, though not convicted. Jess sipped at her coffee as she updated him on what she'd found, and waited for him to reply. Well, none of that helps us with Gregor Markov, and you working tonight, he stated with concern, knowing that the strip club boss would want to fuck his wife again if she went into work. As I said, I have a plan, she grinned at him, but I think I need to find Danny Brooks for it to work. Tom gave his wife a slightly puzzled look and sipped his coffee, but didn't ask her to elaborate. Let's get some breakfast sorted first. We've got a few things to do today, so we're going to be busy, Jess declared resolutely, finishing the last of her coffee and pushing herself up from her chair. Are you going to tell me what's going on? His wife shook her head. No, you'll just have to go with me on this one, she said. After they'd eaten, showered and dressed, Tom put in a quick call to the station to check on Danny Brooks and Frank Harwood. The response from Lisa confirmed Jess's findings that Danny Brooks had been arrested for GBH, but the case had stayed out of court when the two witnesses had declined to give evidence. However, as far as Frank Harwood went, there was nothing, not even a speeding ticket on record. With that done, they set out to visit the rest of Deluxe Enterprises' business acquisitions. They had three bars to check, all belonging to the company, the Sportsman, Maxwell's, and a wine bar called Pinot Noir. The closest was the Sportsman, and 30 minutes later, Tom was parking a short distance from the bar. He turned off the engine and went to get out of the car with his wife. It might be best if I went in alone, she suggested hesitantly, knowing her husband would be concerned about her safety. If he's in there, he might be more willing to talk to me. On the chance he might get into your knickers, the thought immediately sprang to Tom's mind as she said it. Fortunately, he could also see the sense in her proposal, so rather reluctantly, he agreed that he would just wander around outside in case he was needed. Jessica paused before opening the door to the pub and quickly unfastened the two top buttons of her shirt to show a lot more cleavage than was decent. Then, taking a calming breath, she walked into the bar by herself. Tom could see through the bar window that she was the only woman in there, and every pair of male eyes turned to follow her tight denim-clad backside as she walked up to the counter. Outside, watching as discreetly as he could, he saw her speak to the man serving. They talked for a few minutes, Jess shaking her head at first, and then nodding briefly before a short while later she emerged smiling broadly. 
The barman was very helpful. He said Danny Brooks should be at Maxwell's this lunchtime, she informed him succinctly, refastening the two buttons on her top that she'd undone. Was that all? You seemed to be chatting for a while. Well, he did ask me what I was doing tonight, Jess laughed apprehensively. When I said I was busy, he told me Danny would be more than happy to get a visit from a looker like me. Here we go again, thought Tom. How many of the gang will she have to fuck? But he kept those thoughts to himself and didn't comment as the two of them made their way back to the car. It was about 20 minutes' drive to the next bar where they hoped to find who they were looking for. This time Tom parked outside and went in with his wife, although he did hang back when she went across to talk to the barman. Hi, I'm looking for Danny Brooks, said Jess, going straight up and asking the man behind the counter. He looked her up and down for a moment, smiling lustfully, and then shook his head. I'm sorry, love, he's not here. But started Jess, as the barman's smile changed to a frown. I just told you, he's not here. Standing back, Tom was just beginning to wonder if their search was going to prove fruitless when a customer went over to join in the conversation. Hey, I know you. You're that stripper, Sapphire. You work at Sin City, don't you? Jessica blushed. Um, yes, I am, she reluctantly admitted. Fucking hell, I saw you the other day. You were amazing, the stranger continued. And you're fucking gorgeous. Thanks, she giggled, her cheeks going even redder. His intervention seemed to change the tone, and after exchanging a few more words, the barman nodded and went off into the back. What was that all about? Tom asked immediately, as Jess came over to join him while they waited. Well, at first, the barman didn't want to talk to me at all. He just said Danny wasn't there. Then, that other guy came across because he thought he recognised me, she said with a rueful smile. He wanted to know if I was Sapphire, who danced at Sin City. Tom's expression was one of concern. It's okay. I don't think he was trying to pick me up. He just wanted to say he'd seen me stripping and thought I was really good. Anyway, that seemed to change the barman's mind. He's gone to find Danny. She couldn't help but grin, letting her husband know how much she had enjoyed the compliment. Before they could continue, Danny Brooks stepped out from the back of the bar and walked towards them. He wasn't a big guy, maybe around 5'10", and a few inches shorter than Tom, but he was stocky, with a lot of tattoos on his arms. Jess guessed him to be in his mid to late forties, with very short, cropped grey hair and dark, menacing eyes. "'Are you the stripper that was looking for me?' he said, staring at Tom, but speaking to Jess. She nodded. "'Yeah, I'm Jessica, or Sapphire if you want to use my stage name.' "'Who's the muscle?' he asked, nodding towards her husband, and then turning his attention back to her. "'Oh, this is Tom. He works security at the club,' she informed him nonchalantly. "'I asked him if he would come with me. Some moral support.' He shrugged, letting his eyes wander shamelessly up and down her body while he smirked lasciviously at her. Fair enough, darling. No, what is it that you want? Can we sit? Jess asked him, moving towards an empty table. I, I need to talk to you. Sure, the bar manager said, eyeing her up again as they sat down. Tom noted that Danny Brooks didn't offer either of them a drink. Once they were seated, Jessica started to disclose the details of her conversation with Gregor Markov the previous afternoon. Leaving out the fact that he'd been screwing her, she told him how he'd openly declared that he was running prostitutes without the knowledge of his boss, Frank Harwood. Now, why would Gregor tell you that? You're just another slag, taking her clothes off for money. Jess paused, wondering just how much she wanted to divulge to him, before deciding she would have to admit everything that had happened if she was going to get him to believe her. He was fucking me at the time trying to recruit me to work as a whore for him, she finally admitted, blushing again as she glanced momentarily at her husband. Can't say I blame him for that. Wouldn't catch me saying no either. Look, if you aren't interested, 
Jess started to get up. Whoa, come on, I didn't say that. But why are you telling me all this? He seemed more than a little bored. Because he tried to recruit me, and I'm not interested in getting involved in swindling the business owner. She tossed her hair back away from her face and stared at him. Look, very commendable, sweetheart, but what do you want me to do about it? There was the same indifference in his voice, but his eyes showed that he was more than engrossed in what she was saying. It was Jessica's turn to shrug. That's up to you. It's not my business he's cheating, is it? With that, they got up to leave. When are you working next, darling? His question surprised the both of them. Tonight, possibly? Why? She twisted back to look at him. He shook his head and smiled a little unnervingly. No particular reason. Just curious-like. Jessica looked at him for a moment, as if trying to read his mind. Then she turned to leave again. So, that arsehole Markov, he really did fuck you. The quietly spoken question made Jess stop, and her heart started to beat faster as she thought of how she'd been taken by the strip club manager. The way Danny Brooks had spoken about it, making it sound like she was just a cheap slut, annoyed Jess immensely. I told you he did, although I can't see why it's relevant to what I told you, and, anyway, it's really none of your fucking business. The anger in her voice was obvious from the way she spoke. Brooks chuckled and winked. I think that's the answer to my question, then. Obviously gave you a real seeing to. I might see you tonight, then. Danny Brooks was still grinning knowingly as they left the bar to walk back to the car. Let's get a coffee. I need to calm down, said Jess, pulling her husband away from the vehicle and steering him towards a coffee bar just up the street. Seated in the cafe with their drinks, Tom finally got to ask his wife what her plan was for getting Gregor Markov to back off. It's simple, really. I have plans A, B and C, she giggled. Well, perhaps my genius wife can tell her idiot husband how they're gonna work, he frowned back at her. Enjoying herself, Jess started to explain to him. Well, plan A is simple. I've told Danny Brooks, now he tells Frank Harwood, and the gang decides to deal with Markov, who's ripping them off. Plan B, they do nothing, and I have to tell the odious slug I'm not going to sleep with him anymore. Or plan C, I do sleep with him, and today has been a total waste of time. What about phoning in sick? Tom asked. Jess chuckled. Oops, I forgot that one. Okay, I have a plan D as well. Wow. Well, let's hope plan A works then, he laughed and picked up his cup. Of course, there's always the chance that Brooks will pass the information on to Harwood and tell him who told him it. And as a result, I might actually get to meet our man, Jessica added, biting her lower lip, knowing what that might mean for her. And then he fucks you as well, Tom sighed to himself. He couldn't fault his wife's thinking, although he did have a few reservations about her plans. She had let Gregor fuck her to get the information she wanted, and now it appeared the gang were into a lot more than running a scamming operation. Extortion and prostitution were also, very obviously, ventures they had deep interests in. However, it was what they might do to Markov that bothered him. It was clear the sleazy strip club boss deserved whatever they did, but Tom wondered if he would be condoning a crime with what he knew. In the end, he decided he wasn't. All they'd done was pass on some information. What the gang did with it wasn't his problem. Finishing their coffee, they walked back to the car and set off home. So, what are you going to do tonight? He asked his wife tentatively as he drove. Jess stared out of the car window and thought for a minute before answering. I'm going to go in, she said. And if he's there? Tom asked. Then I'll tell him that I don't want to sleep with him, she declared, trying to sound determined but failing miserably. Sure, that's going to work, Tom thought to himself. They still had a few hours to kill before getting ready to head off to the club, so Jessica went back to the internet, looking for anything more she could find, while Tom just tried to stay out of her way. 
Starting her preparations early, at just after five o'clock, Jess went for a long soak, while Tom had to wait until she'd finished, before he had the opportunity to grab a quick shower. After cleaning up, they ate, and then, while he cleared away the dishes, his wife went to go and get her makeup on and pack her bag. Following her to the bedroom, he stood in the doorway and leant on the jam, smiling as he watched his wife put on her cosmetics. Settling in front of her mirror, she started with her false eyelashes. These were quickly covered with a layer of black mascara, extending and blackening them. Eyeliner, a deep blue eyeshadow, foundation and lip gloss completed her makeup, although she knew she would touch it up once she was in the changing room at the club. By the time they were both dressed and she had rechecked her bag, it was almost time for them to leave. Their journey was conducted mostly in silence, neither of them wanting to voice their concerns that the sleazy manager of Sin City might well be there to greet them, despite Jess's best efforts to get the gang to remove him. As usual, they took one car and parked a short distance from the strip club, walking separately to complete the journey so they again arrived independently of each other. Daryl was waiting for Tom as he walked into the club and immediately pulled him to the side. We got a bit of a problem tonight. Gregor's not here. Apparently Big Boss wanted to see him. So, I'm going to be extra busy, and that means you will be too. He breathed a sigh of relief as the news confirmed that Jessica's plan had worked, at least in part. Okay, said Tom, trying to look concerned. What do you want me to do then? Work the floor in the VIP room as usual, but keep an eye on the girls too. I'll have to cover for Gregor until he gets back, the security boss informed him, and then made off to do whatever he had to do. Jess walked in at that point, and he quickly told her that Markov had been summoned to meet the boss just to put her mind at ease. The news sent her off to prepare with a big smile on her face. At ten minutes to opening, Jess reappeared, changed and ready to dance in her purple outfit with hold-up black stockings and her stiletto heels. As she took up a place at the bar, Tom went to help Daryl unlock for what would likely be a busy Saturday afternoon. A dozen or so punters were outside, waiting for the club to open, but as Jessica was third on stage, it gave time for a few more customers to filter in before it was time for her first dance. So, when the DJ eventually announced Sapphire as the next act, the bar was almost half full. Tom was standing at the back, watching his wife strip, when Danny Brooks appeared at his elbow. She's a looker, isn't she? The voice beside him made him start. Oh, hi. Yeah, yeah, she is. His attention was on Danny now, rather than Jess, who was on the stage opening her legs wide for a tipper. You and her, you're an item, aren't you? It wasn't really a question. Tom carefully considered his answer before shrugging. Does it matter if we are? Doesn't matter to me, and I'm running the place now, at least for the moment. He shook his head and smiled malevolently. Where's Markov? Danny Brooks gave him another evil smile. He's been, well, reassigned, shall we say? Tom didn't answer. Instead, he gave his off-handed comment some serious thought. Definitely a looker. With a nice body, too. I'm surprised you let that sleaze marker fuck her. Maybe I'll give her a try, as you're the obliging sort. Tom bit his tongue as he commented on his wife again before moving away. As soon as Jessica appeared from backstage, he told her about Danny now being in charge and his comment about Gregor Markov. Do you think Frank Harwood might make an appearance? She deliberated, obviously wondering how she might get to him if he did. I guess we'll have to see, her husband told her, before he had to step back to allow a customer to ask her for a private dance. The evening continued in the same manner for a while, with Jess doing several more lap dances, when, after she'd just returned from her third on-stage strip, a smartly dressed man approached her. Good evening. Mr Harwood has asked if you'd care to dance for him in the VIP lounge, Sapphire. It was a politely worded order, rather than a request. 
Jess bit her lower lip and glanced momentarily past him to her husband as he listened from a few feet away. The plan had paid off. She was actually going to meet the mysterious big boss. Yes, of course. I'd be delighted to, she answered coolly, slipping off her stool. He'll pay you at the end of the dance, if that's okay with you, Howard's goon informed her impersonally. Shall we go then, said Jess, glancing back at her husband as they headed towards the curtained-off entrance to the VIP area. The security man positioned there had obviously been instructed as to what was happening and pulled back the drapes, telling Jessica they wouldn't be disturbed as she nervously stepped inside. Despite his duties, Tom knew he had to get a look at the mysterious gang boss. Regardless of the fact his wife was about to strip for him, he needed to see the man for himself, and he headed to the walkway where he could watch exactly what went on. Entering the VIP area, Jessica walked across to him, her hips swaying invitingly. She could feel the same aura emanating from the enigmatic and shadowy Frank Harwood as her husband could, standing several yards away in the shadows. "'Good evening, Sapphire, or should I call you Jessica?' the gangster said, smiling charmingly at her. Standing in front of him, in a lacy red bra, thong, and red fishnet stockings, she posed, with one hand on her hip, and replied as sexily as she could. "'Either will do.' Mr. Harwood. Taking the opportunity to study him, she noted that Frank Harwood was about sixty, six feet tall, with steel-grey hair, and he looked like he worked out, judging by his impressive physique. His tanned complexion suggested he spent a lot of time in the sun, or wasn't a natural-born Briton. What was most apparent, though, were his dark, brooding eyes, eyes that seemed to bore into her very soul, and the air of power he exuded, an aura she could feel just standing in front of him. She also noticed he didn't invite her to sit. Please. Call me Frank, he said charmingly. After all, I have to thank you for the information you gave my associate, Mr. Brooks, on my former employee, Mr. Markov. It was most appreciated. He was defrauding us of a substantial amount of our potential earnings. The way he said former sent a chill down her spine, and she guessed that Gregor Markov wouldn't be coming back to the club any time soon. Taking out his wallet, he slowly counted out a hundred pounds in twenty-pound notes onto the small table and looked up at Jessica. So, are you going to dance for me, Sapphire? She swallowed apprehensively. Dealing with Gregor Markov had been one thing. It was blatantly obvious to her that Frank Harwood would be something totally different. There would be no easy way to fool this man. The pulsing beat of the music from the bar was piped into the room through speakers on the wall, and taking her gaze from the money, Jess started swaying her body as seductively as she could. Losing herself in the rhythm, she ran her fingers through her long blonde hair, letting it tumble across her shoulders as she gyrated sexily in front of the gang's mysterious leader. I strip, and you can touch my breasts if you want, she told him bluntly, looking straight into his eyes as she started to dance. Anything else? he asked, his face expressionless. Anything else is against the club rules, Jess said innocently. Well, it's my club, Frank Harwood told her casually and smirked. She smiled impishly back at him. Then you should know the rules. With her cheeky comment, she turned away from him, bumping and grinding her bottom as she looked back over her shoulder. Then she reached up behind her to unstrap the hooks on her bra. Holding the cups over her modest chest, she spun around to face him and continued to sway enticingly just a few feet in front of him. Then, pulling her top away to expose her perky tits, Jessica quickly straddled his lap, her knees on either side of his legs her body still undulating as she rubbed her crotch against his hard length, only the material of her panties and his trousers between them, while she held his shoulders and smothered his face with her breasts. "'Can I fuck you?' he asked, his hands sliding up over her body and onto her breasts when she leant back, allowing him to freely grope her chest. 
For a moment she considered letting him have her, but then she immediately decided she didn't want to appear too easy. There was certain to be more information they would need before their investigation was over. She needed to keep him interested in her. Sorry, it's against the rules, Frank, Jessica told him apologetically. But I'll go as far as giving you a hand job. With that, she stood up, her body still moving in time with the music, her hands sliding up her stockinged thighs and across her stomach to cup her small tits, her fingers toying with her half-hard nipples. Frank was spellbound, as Jess turned and bent over at the waist, lowering her head so her hair tumbled towards the floor. Spreading her feet apart, she kept her long legs straight as she started to rock her hips, simulating being taken from behind. Sitting just half a dozen feet away from her, Frank moaned softly, staring at the thin strip of material hiding her moist slit. While looking back between her legs, she could see his cock was now fully erect and tenting his trousers. Okay, a hand job then. We wouldn't want to break the club rules too much, would we? He sneered lustfully, not taking his eyes away from the area between the top of Jess's thighs. She stood upright and looked back over her shoulder at him, her mouth open and her eyes wide as she spanked her own ass cheek. Ow, she squealed coyly, grinning, and gently rubbed her reddened buttock before spanking herself again and turning back so she was facing him. You like? Jessica whispered, staring up at him, her hips swaying as her hands came down to cover her crotch. Very much, said Frank, leaning forward, unable to resist staring at the gorgeous young blonde virtually naked before him. Closing the few feet that separated them to stand astride his thighs, Jess paused her body just inches from his face. Then she hooked her thumbs into the waistband of her thong and very slowly started to peel it over her hips. As she eased them down, she could see his eyes, fixed on her slightly exposed mound, obviously noting that she was totally shaven. "'You want to see this pussy?' she whispered, batting her eyelashes and teasing him mercilessly. Frank looked up and nodded, grinning at her cheekiness. "'Oh, I most certainly do!' Jessica stepped away and turned her back towards him yet again. With her thighs pressed together and her legs straight, she bent at the waist and slipped the thong the rest of the way down her legs. Untangling her knickers from around her shoes, she stood upright, her red panties in her right hand. "'Well, you'll just have to wait,' she whispered teasingly, dropping her panties onto his lap and bending forwards. She slid her hands up his legs to his hips, pressing herself up against him as she did. Tom could barely breathe. Watching his wife as she teased the older man, his prick was solid, filling out his jeans and aching for relief. Looking up, she smiled, the music all but forgotten, as she eased herself onto Frank's lap, her body tight against his. "'You are something else, young lady,' he whispered, as her hands pressed against his chest, moving up to the top of his arms when she straddled his lap. With her hands on his shoulders, she pressed her breasts against him, and she could tell she was having an effect from the way the sizable bulge in his pants felt against her slit." Still moving to the music, Jess leant back a little and started to tease her nipples with her index fingers, gently rubbing them and making her teats stand out like bullets. "'You like?' she asked him. Frank Harwood grinned at her lasciviously. "'Yes, I do. I like it a lot.' To Frank's surprise, she placed a finger against his lips, waiting until his mouth opened before gently slipping it in between them. "'And you like me doing that?' Jess murmured sexily. Again he nodded, staring back into her blue eyes. Jessica giggled, pulling her finger away and leaning forward, pressing her swollen nipple against his lips. Surprised, he opened his mouth as she pushed her breast inside it, his tongue flicking the hard bud as he closed his mouth over her teat. "'Oh, fuck. Ah, yes,' she hissed gently, letting him suckle for a moment before she pulled her tit away, leaving him open-mouthed. "'Fucking hell, Sapphire!' 
he exclaimed breathlessly, his hands still on her waist. You really are something else. Standing in the shadows on the walkway, his duties forgotten for the moment, Tom watched in disbelief as his wife effectively seduced the man they were trying to bring down. Lowering herself back down, sitting on his crotch with his bulge pressing between her labia, she rocked her hips back and forth, gently grinding on him. His prick throbbed in his pants and he groaned as she started to slide herself up his body again. Her hair brushed over his face as she moved upwards, her body crushed to his. Then he inhaled as her small pert mounds rubbed against his cheekbones, the music mostly forgotten now as she tormented him. Frank exhaled when Jessica pressed her belly button against his mouth and he couldn't stop himself from flicking out his tongue to taste her flesh. Oh, fuck, Jess shuddered but kept herself upright. Her long legs were fully stretched out as she stood on the sofa, her feet either side of his hips. Now, right in front of his face, a mere four inches away, was her bare pussy. His eyes drank in the sight of her naked vulva, fully shaven, its outer lips glistening from her wetness. She let him look for a moment and then dropped her hand and cupped her crotch, hiding her sex from his gaze before starting to gently move her fingers back and forth, rubbing herself, her hips rocking in time with her hand movements. As he watched mesmerised, she splayed herself open, her fingers pulling her labia apart and giving him a perfect view of every intimate detail of her womanhood for the next few seconds. Taking her hand away, Jessica looked directly into his eyes and extended her middle finger. Mmm, he moaned, gratefully opening his mouth as she slipped her digit into his mouth gently. Letting him suck on it for a few moments, she eventually eased it free, and he watched intently as she placed it against her pussy, returning it to her slit and lightly pushing it into her entrance. Frank couldn't stop himself from sighing with pleasure as her finger slipped easily between her pussy lips in one slow but smooth movement, until she had it buried knuckle-deep inside her. Tom had never seen her do this in a lap dance before, and standing out of direct view, it was clear to him how she intended to ingratiate herself with the gang boss. She was almost certainly doing this with the intention of sleeping with him, but he wondered, would she actually do it now, here in the VIP suite? What about this? Do you like this too? Jess bit her lower lip demurely as she fingered herself. Frank swallowed hard as she slowly pulled her finger almost out of her cunt before sliding it back inside herself again, barely blinking as she repeated the movements, slipping her finger in and out of her moist slit several times, before, to his utter disbelief, she pulled her digit free and slid it straight back in between his lips. Sucking on her wet finger, he could taste her as he swallowed, his saliva tinged with her juices. However, no sooner had he done that than she pulled her finger free from his mouth and pushed her hips towards him, forcing her pussy almost onto his face. Gently rocking, she teased him, letting him inhale the aroma of her sex before she started to slide down, the smooth skin of her flat belly pressed against him, then her firm little tits, pausing to allow him to suckle on her engorged nipples before she came to rest, straddling him, a beaming smile on her face. Fucking hell, really. You are something special, Sapphire. I want to fuck you so badly. Jess grinned and started to grind her pussy on his hard bulge. Oh my, somebody's hard, she giggled naughtily. Amazingly, he blushed, his cheeks turning scarlet at her comment. It was then that Jessica knew she had him. He wanted her, and now she knew she would have the opportunities to find out the information they wanted. Jess smiled naughtily at him, biting her bottom lip coyly, and then, placing her hands on his chest, she started to ease her bum back down his thighs, pushing herself back until her feet were on the floor and her head was on his lap. She looked up at him, her eyes a picture of innocence, and grinned while her hands felt for the buckle of his belt, undoing it before she unfastened the clasp of his suit trousers. 
You said you wanted a hand job, right? Gazing up at him as she finally spoke, her voice little more than a hoarse whisper. He nodded, unable to tear his eyes away from her. Standing in the shadows, totally engrossed, Tom couldn't take his gaze away either as she placed her hand on his bulge, squeezing it firmly, her fingers tracing its outline. Out in the VIP suite, Jessica knelt in front of him and slid her hand further into his pants, slowly working down along its length, keeping the pressure on his prick, as she eased his shorts further down, exposing his cock head first, and then the rest of his cock. Oh shit, Sapphire, oh fuck, he groaned, his manhood standing erect and upright. Although she didn't comment, Jess stared at his shaft. Long and solid, she guessed it was at least eight inches in length, and thick, a lot thicker than Gregor Markov's had been, and that had filled her. Her hand curled around it, her fingers not meeting, and she started to stroke, working her small, soft palm along his swollen organ and looking up at him as his breathing quickened. Twisting and jerking his cock, she could feel the veins pulsing against her fingers as his pole twitched in her grasp. Her eyes were locked onto his manhood while her soft fist pumped it steadily, her grip flexing to increase his pleasure. At the side of the room, Tom stared at his wife, his own erection painfully hard, as she gave the man they had both been looking for a hand job. Laid back on the sofa, Frank let her pleasure him, her hand jerking him for several delightful minutes until he felt himself tense. Oh yeah, Sapphire, get ready, I'm gonna... He groaned loudly as he ejaculated. His body spasmed repeatedly, his cum spurting in thick ribbons from his raging hard-on, while, kneeling at his feet, Jess kept wanking him, urging out every last drop of his cream. He looked down at her as she squealed, lifting her head as she jerked one final time, the last dribbles of cum oozing out over her hand. That's a good girl. Sorry about the mess, he smirked. She had a thick white rope of cum laying on her nose and across her lips, while another glob had landed in her left eye, gumming it closed and smearing her makeup. His first two massive spurts had caught her full in the face before she could pull free. You really are fucking something else, Sapphire. I really couldn't help. I... you... fuck! You were just so amazing! He laughed, obviously unconcerned at what had just happened. Jessica started giggling, her hand still holding his shaft. Oh my god, I didn't expect you to come that much. Did I really just make you come like that? Frank nodded. Yeah, you did. You were, well, fucking unbelievable, baby. Are you with that security guy? Tom, is it? Yes, I am. In fact, he's working in the club right now, Jess told him. She hadn't bothered to wipe the cum from her face as she spoke, and it glistened pearly white on her cheek as she smiled. He grinned lasciviously at her. Well, tell him from me that that was amazing. Really mind-blowing. Better than any lap dance I've had before. Putting her clothes back on, she wiped most of the sperm off her face using her hand and the handkerchief he gave her before scooping up the money and accepting an additional £20 from him as a tip. Zipping himself up, he watched her get dressed. Will you have dinner with me tomorrow night? He asked her. I'm sure your boyfriend, Tom, won't mind. I... Um, I suppose I could, Jess replied cautiously, knowing full well what his intentions for her were sure to be. Standing out of the way, Tom could hardly believe his ears. She was agreeing to have dinner with the gang's boss, and most likely to sleep with him. Stunned, he made his way back to the bar. The two of them reappeared a moment or two later, and she kissed Frank on the cheek before he pulled her against him and planted his lips on hers. Pulling away, she laughed and started making her way back towards her seat as he turned and left. Tom looked at her questioningly as she came by. More than a little ashamed of what she'd done, Jess whispered, 
I'll tell it all later, but right now I need to wash his cum off my hand. The rest of the night flew by. Jess did a couple more sets on the stage and earned a few tips for opening her legs and showing her pussy to whoever paid her. She also did three more lap dances, although none were anything like the one she'd done for Frank. She was the last girl on stage and it was almost 1.30am when she emerged dressed from behind the curtains for her husband to take her home. So, how much do you make tonight? he inquired. Um, well, Sapphire made £640, I think, she laughed. And now she needs you to take her home and fuck her. You're not too tired then, Tom said hopefully as they left the club together. Frank knows we're together, Jess said to him as they walked back to the car. He nodded. I know, Danny Brooks told me. Do you think that's a problem? His wife asked him, a little concerned after what had happened and the fact she was going to dinner with Frank Harwood on the Sunday evening. Not yet, but we do need to be extra careful now. Frowning, he was worried about what this change to their situation might lead to. They walked on a little way in silence, Jess holding his arm. He asked me to have dinner with him tomorrow night, she finally told her husband. Hardly surprising, after you gave a five-star performance in the VIP lounge. His voice had a slightly sarcastic edge. I presume you'll sleep with him? She didn't answer his question immediately, instead asking him another. Did you enjoy it? They stopped walking and turned to face each other. Yes. Yes, I did. You, you were incredible. I was so turned on, Tom admitted, not wanting to look her in the eye. Jess smiled and gave his cock a light squeeze. Good, I wanted it to arouse you. So, will you fuck him? Tom asked. She looked at him for a moment, considering the question. Forget our investigation, because I'll sleep with him just to try and get what I can out of him. Do you want me in his bed? Can't believe I'm saying this, but... But yes, I want you to fuck him. Good, because I don't think I'll be able to say no to him, if he wants me. The conversation was over, and they were left with their thoughts of what her dinner with Frank Harwood might lead to. It was settled, and they resumed their journey home and towards Sunday night. 2B continued. Reveal all except the truth Undercover stripper Alrighty, there we go. That's chapter 6. Done and dusted. In the bank. And although it wasn't on the same level in terms of its erotic content as chapter 5, I found myself quite enjoying that chapter. And I guess with only four more to go, it's no surprise that Tom and Jess are having a little bit of success infiltrating the gang. Even if I do think it's maybe a bit soon for them to have gained the trust of all these people. I mean, how long has it been, really? Two weeks? Has it been two weeks? Or maybe it's only been one and a half. Which, say what you like about Tom and Jess's investigative technique, is a pretty good turnaround (laughs) for infiltrating a gang. And credit to them, they've done it with no backup. (laughs) Just, they're on their own out there, getting stuff done. We met a couple of new characters this week, and I hope you enjoyed my voices for them. I thought I had an Irish accent in the locker... (laughs) for Danny Brooks (laughs) but actually it was much harder to do his voice consistently than I was prepared for and I kept finding myself having to go back and saying my reference phrase (laughs) it's actually from a cop show I can't remember what's it called now hang on I have to just do a quick google of what this show is called oh yeah that's right it was The Fall with Gillian Anderson and Jamie Dornan (laughs) and that's my reference phrase Jamie Dornan (laughs) so I just I say Jamie Dornan and then I can do 
Danny Brooks's accent for roughly about 10 to 15 seconds before I start to lose it again. Veering off wildly into Scottish, occasionally lurching across into Liverpool. Oh, it was a little bit all over the place. On the other hand, though, I don't have to do Markov anymore, it seems. Markov, out of the picture. And in a way, I feel like Markov might have been the weakest accent that I've used in this story. And then the other accent, the other new one that I had to do was for Frank Harwood. And I really wanted to make him sound like an absolute villain, like a real baddie, because he's the big boss after all. So I really didn't hold back in terms of trying to make him sound just completely mental. And while I think that probably does come across, the downside of doing that voice is that it really wears out the old vocal cords. And so I had to have a bit of a break when I was recording some of his bits. I made myself a little lemon and ginger tea just to loosen things up a little bit. One funny detail of one of our newest characters, Harwood, is that he's the big boss, but he's also got the biggest dick. (laughs) Which kind of seems a bit of a stereotype, I guess. I wonder, is that how he got the position at the top? Did they all whack them out and compare to decide who had the knob to be in charge? He does a lot of cum, too, when he ejaculates. And that's always something which seems overstated in erotica, the amount of cum that men typically produce. They're always above average in these stories. It was a bit of a gross description, too, I thought, Jess with her face and eyes all globbed up with his semen. And it's a common thing in video porn, too, the cum shot all over the face. And it's another one that I don't really get the visual appeal of. I guess maybe a bit like the choking that we had last week. It's about power and humiliation, which obviously makes it exactly the kind of thing that a baddie would be into. But it's strange to me that it's such a mainstay in porn in general. Jess is there for quite a while too without wiping it away, which is some impressive self-control. I think I'd be really struggling against the compulsion to clean it off my face, especially out of my eyes. It feels like it would be one of those physical urges that's almost impossible to resist. A bit like trying to let a Malteser entirely melt in your mouth without chewing it. It's just not possible. But you know, I think that might be it in terms of characters. How much room is there in the narrative for more people to be introduced at this point? Especially when we've already had the big baddie revealed. I guess I suppose maybe he isn't the big baddie, maybe there's people even above him that we're yet to meet. One thing that continues to frustrate me about this story, and I've said it before, but I will say it again, it's just the way that Tom and Jess keep having to reassure each other about what they're doing. I I don't know, I I guess it's part of their dynamic at this point, but I kind of think they're either comfortable with it or they're not. They either trust each other or they don't. They've both said that they're cool with it so many times by this point, I almost think it's a bit... I guess just a bit annoying. (laughs) I mean, for the characters themselves, I would have thought that their partner just doesn't believe that they are cool with it. (laughs) They keep having to... Well, I mean, they keep assuming that they aren't, even though they've said that they are, and then questioning them on it. Does that make sense? Like, am I the only one finding it a bit repetitive? I mean, they are a bit of a strange couple in many ways. And I think the fact that they keep second-guessing themselves and each other, I think it's probably an indication that they were both right when they said they never should have started this. I think it's obviously a bit too much for them. And I'm not really judging that, because I do think it's an insane amount of pressure to put on your relationship. Even if they were only experimenting with opening things up in the bedroom, that would be a difficult thing to do. But (laughs) as well as doing that, they're also trying to collect evidence, and they're putting themselves in some serious danger by going undercover at the strip club. So I do think it's understandable that they're having a hard time in getting comfortable with what's happening. And my gripe really is not that it's unrealistic for them to be struggling, it's that the conversations they have about it are just repetitive, and they never seem to make any progress. They're always returning to this ground they've already covered. But maybe I'm guilty of that too. 
Maybe I should just get over it at this point. They also have terrible taste in pizza. <laughs> That's almost as much of a crime. Where do you even get a deep pan pizza these days in the UK? It's not really much of a thing here. I think you'd have to go to a place that specialises in it, like an American-themed pizza place. And also, getting a deep pan pizza delivered, that thing is going to be so gross and soggy by the time it arrives, right? No shade on any Americans who are listening in Chicago or Detroit, people who love their city's famous pizza. If I was visiting, I would definitely get one, and I'm sure it's absolutely delicious. But here in the UK, pretty much all the best pizza has its roots in the Italian thin crust tradition. And the fact that Tom and Jess are Brits who order deep pan pizza is just another bit of evidence for me in the bulging case file that proves their weirdness as a couple. Another weirdness about this story is that there's been another unnecessary mention of Jess going to the bathroom on her way to the kitchen when she gets up. And then later, there's a few more superfluous sentences about Jess having a bath and Tom having to wait till she's finished before he can have a shower. And I still wonder why the author feels like they have to include that detail. Are they worried that readers will call them up on a lack of realism if they don't mention the characters going to the toilet? That can't be the reason though, surely, because they don't get hung up on other incidental details of everyday life, things like brushing teeth or putting out the rubbish. They don't feel compelled to record every sneeze, burp and fart that Tom and Jess do, but for some reason going to the bathroom is worth a specific mention. I wonder if we're building to something important happening in the bathroom in a later chapter, and establishing that Tom and Jess always go in the morning on their way to the kitchen will turn out to have been crucial to the narrative. Or maybe it's just about reinforcing that strippers have to take great care over their hygiene. Maybe that's why there's also such a focus on Jess's makeup too. The author's trying to shed some light on the preparation that goes into looking good for the stage. One thing I didn't understand the need for in this chapter was Jess's secrecy around her plan to tell Danny Brooks about Markov's prostitution ring. Why was it important for her to conceal this from Tom? I think it must have been for the reader's benefit to engineer some suspense over what she was going to do, but I think without a real reason to keep it from Tom, it felt a bit unnatural, and I was left wondering why Tom, who bears the real responsibility for this whole case, wouldn't insist that she tell him the details. And it's also a bit of a mystery why Jess wouldn't want to discuss the plan with Tom to get his input on it. After all, it turns out to be quite a risky move. <laughs> and it could have easily backfired on them, so I think it would have been nice if she'd warned him about what she was going to do. Also, Tom might have had some valuable input from a police perspective. He's the professional here after all, or at least he's supposed to be. When I read this bit, I was expecting Jess to do something that Tom was going to disagree with and that it would lead to an argument or something. I think that would have explained why she felt it was better not to tell him beforehand. But even when he does learn what she's done, he's basically fine with it. So it felt like set up for drama which just never came to fruition. I think a better way to approach this need for suspense might have been to have Jess explain the plan to Tom off the page. That way the reader is still wondering what the plan is, but there's no sense that Jess is acting alone without Tom being on board, especially when Tom not knowing was of no real consequence. It was obviously a very risky move to go to the other bars owned by the gang though, especially going as a couple to the second one. I guess maybe the other places wouldn't know that Tom and Jess have been lying about not being together, but Danny immediately realised that they were together, and it wouldn't have taken very much bad luck for somebody inside the gang who knew that they were pretending not to know each other to become suspicious of the reason for their deception. Maybe this isn't the case, but I always imagine that people in organised crime are, you know, chronically paranoid. They're always worried about being infiltrated. And my instincts tell me that somebody like that would become immediately distrustful of somebody who gets caught hiding something. 
even if that something is relatively inconsequential. Because I think they'd be asking themselves, if they're lying about this, what else are they concealing? And why are they choosing to lie about this, when it doesn't seem to make any sense that they would? Later, though, we learn from Danny that almost everyone in the gang has something to hide, so maybe it's a case of honour among thieves, where basically everyone assumes that everyone else is untrustworthy, but that other people have as much to lose by poking around as they do, so nobody asks too many questions. One big sore thumb moment for me, i.e. it stuck out, was that at one point Tom's policeman's sense of duty almost kicks in, and he wonders, is it right for them to have told Danny about Markov, knowing that the gang will probably kill him for running prostitutes behind their back? But then he just dismisses the thought and decides, oh, it's probably not my responsibility, which I think is complete bullshit. If watching shows like Line of Duty has taught me anything, apart from catching bent coppers and the phrase, Mother of God, then it's that a police officer's first duty is preservation of life. Tom could absolutely catch some responsibility for Markov's murder if he knowingly leaked information to the gang which was likely to get him killed. I think this is by far the most egregious breach of police protocol that we've seen so far, and it raises the stakes for Tom from misconduct in a public office to something more like gross negligence manslaughter. I would love to see the AC-12 interview where DCI Hastings rips into Tom's investigation with Steve and Kate manning the PowerPoint. Mother of God! In a way, I feel a little bit let down that there hasn't been a bit more drama at the police station. I've said it before, but it's almost a bit beside the point that Tom's a police officer. He acts much more like a private detective. And I think I was expecting this story to play out a bit more like a classic cop opera. But that isn't what it's turned out to be. I'm still waiting for Lisa and George Freeman to make a return to the scene to find out what they make of what Tom and Jess have been up to so far. There were a couple of bits in this chapter which I changed slightly for the podcast. Nothing in the narrative or nothing that changes anything major about the story, but there were a few little bits where the word order of some sentences just didn't make sense when it was narrated, even though they probably wouldn't stand out so much if you were reading them in your head. One particular quirk of this story is that often, after a section of dialogue, there's a bit of description before the author tells us who said it. So in these cases, I flipped things around and had the he said or she said before the description, because it just sounds more natural that way. Another bit from a writing style perspective that bugged me straight away in this chapter, and it's a really small thing, but it's something that I see a lot of writers do on Literotica, and that's stating one thing and then immediately contradicting it a few sentences later. And I decided to pick up on this quirk now because there's a really good example of it in this chapter, where Jess is deciding if she should sleep with Harwood or not, and she says one thing and then contradicts herself in the very same sentence. For a moment, she considered letting him have her, but then she immediately decided she didn't want to appear too easy. Do you see what I mean about that? If she took a moment to consider it, then it wasn't an immediate decision. I know that might sound like a pedantic point to make, but I think it's a real hallmark of amateur fiction, and you'd never see that in professional writing. And I know that the author is trying to say that Jess thought for a moment, and then the realisation that it might make her appear easy suddenly made up her mind. And it's easy to work out that that's what the author was trying to communicate, but ideally, you don't want your audience to have to do any of that mental legwork themselves if you can avoid the confusion, because that extra half second it takes to work out what they were trying to say pulls the reader out of the flow of the narrative, and it reminds them that they're reading something written by a real person. Ideally, the state of mind that you want for your reader is that they become so engrossed in the story that they lose themselves in it, and they almost forget that they're reading at all. For me, anything that gets in the way of that risks breaking their immersion. In the same vein, for me, was the way that Tom apparently watched with disbelief as Jess seduced Harwood. 
Like, really? Tom couldn't believe that Jess was doing exactly what he expected her to do. He found it unbelievable that she would have a plan, tell him about it, and then do exactly what she'd explained she was going to do. I think what the author was trying to get across is the shock that Tom feels in that moment, witnessing the reality. But I think they need to do a better job at articulating that, rather than relying on a word which carries connotations that don't make sense in the given context. Tom isn't in disbelief at the situation. He might be in shock, or feeling uncomfortable, or struggling with the reality of it, but he's got no reason to feel disbelief at Jess's actions when that's been the plan from the beginning. It happens again later, too, when Jess agrees to go to dinner with Harwood. Tom is stunned, like it's a bad thing, when actually it's exactly what they wanted to happen. It's a dream come true as far as investigating the gang is concerned. He could hardly have hoped for a better outcome. While I've got my pedantic hat on, <laughs> I'm going down a hopefully constructive criticism track here, but I also picked up on some odd prefix choices in this chapter, and I've seen it in, in other chapters too, but it felt like there were a lot of them in this one. Like a character doing something unashamedly rather than shamelessly, or unmercifully rather than mercilessly. Maybe that's the sort of thing that isn't noticeable to most people, and I, as I say, I do think it's verging on pedantic to call it out, but... It stuck out to me, so I thought it was worth a mention for the sake of constructive criticism. And also, in my narration, I think I edited most of these bits out just on instinct, and used the words that I felt were more natural for the situation. One final bit of criticism is for the repetition of words in close proximity to each other, and I've seen this in a ton of stories. Like when Jess puts her finger to Harwood's mouth, and then he opens his mouth in the next sentence. It feels like they've used the word mouth too many times. Or when Jess pulls out Harwood's cockhead, followed by the rest of his cock. <laughs> it just feels that you don't need to have that in there bulking out the content and taking the reader out of the flow of reading. It's like you're slowing them down in getting to the bit that they actually want to enjoy reading, creating a barrier. Things like this create a bit of a moral quandary in my mind. Because there's a sense that I want the podcast to sound good, and so bits of the story that don't sound natural when they're narrated, I'm often tempted to edit them so that they flow better. Is it more important to reproduce the story accurately as it's written, or to create a listening experience which is enjoyable? And I think I'm happy with the balance I've struck so far. You can't get too deep into accurate reproduction without pronouncing every spelling mistake, or only inserting pauses where there's a comma or a full stop. I think if I truly did that, then even this quite well-written story would sound pretty bad narrated out loud. In fact, I've even narrated a few famous novels, and I've found that it is usually necessary to insert some pauses, just to allow it to flow naturally when narrated, rather than read in your head. I thought that Jess didn't seem to enjoy this encounter as much as the one that she had with Markov. I wonder if sex with a gang member was something she only needed to do one time, just to get it out of her system. On the other hand, Tom is clearly still loving it, and even though he was given extra responsibilities around the club that evening, and he has a new manager to impress, he couldn't resist going up on the walkway to watch from the shadows with a big boner in his pants. <laughs> There's a certain irony too, I think, about Tom feeling worried about people at the club knowing he and Jess are together, and what that might mean. Especially when he says, we have to be extra careful now, like that wasn't the case from the beginning. Why weren't you being careful up to this point? Maybe if you had been even the smallest bit careful, you might not be in a situation where the whole world knows you're together and that you tried to hide it for no good reason. Okay, I think it's time that we took a look at the comments. Let's have a look and see if there's any familiar commenters. We've got Phaserboy1, we've got Wiz1002, CZOFTW, we've got a comment from Quir12, Perverted Knight is back, Boyd Percy is back. 
So plenty of people returning to this next chapter and with something to say. Let's kick it off with one from Ambis, who is another one that we've had before. They say, Storyline gets more and more interesting, but will she escape with a story or ease into becoming a whore for Frank? <laughs> I don't think it's a case of either or, actually, Ambis. I think it's going to be both. Well, I guess we know, we don't know if she's going to escape, but I think she is going to maybe have to sleep with Frank to get the story. Boyd Percy says, A no-win situation? Question mark. I don't know if it's necessarily a no-win situation. Because in, in a way, it seems like a win-win situation. Because the first win is Tom and Jess getting to indulge their sexual fantasy for sleeping with other people, and I guess for Tom watching Jess sleep with other people. And the second win is that they are making progress in the investigation. So I think it's a, a double win, a win-win, not a no-win. Libertine55 says, Each chapter gets better and better. Red Rosses. <laughs> I thought it said Red Roses at first, but there's two S's in the middle, so it, it's it's Red Rosses. I wonder if their name is Ross. That would be a very clever username, <laughs> if their name is really Ross. Anyway, they say, brilliant as ever, you could write about paint drying and make it exciting. One Good Eye, another one we've heard from before, says, I'm really enjoying this story. Nicely paced, thank you. Gold Sachs says, I love this storyline. Great job on all the chapters so far. Phaserboy1 says, another great chapter, thank you. Robert John says, your stories are always so good. This one, no exception. A comment from Perverted Knight. Oh, they've, you know what, Perverted Knight is one who does go into the pedantics of spelling and grammar. They've said two with just one O should have been two with two O's in a couple of spots. And it's soul with a U, not soul with an O. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't complain about pedantic comments, really. Because am I doing anything different? Maybe not. They go on to say, I am looking forward to Frank's big dick stretching out our heroine's pussy, mouth, and hopefully ass. Cheers. Yeah, there hasn't been any anal in this story. That's something that usually crops up, especially in a story of this length. But so far, no anal to speak of. I wonder if we will see some of that by the time it wraps up. I've saved the best three comments to last. First up from Wiz1002, they say, Another great chapter. Well done, UK underscore writer underscore 53. Not sure how much of the evidence being collected would stand up in a court of law, as it's been obtained through coercion. But who cares? Lots of sexy encounters being experienced we need on the way there. I think I agree with their general sentiment, and I think I've made it clear <laughs> that I don't think that their investigation is at all realistic. But I also agree that it has been a fun ride, and I've enjoyed the journey nonetheless. CZOFTW says, Is it bad that I'm rooting for our heroine to get totally defiled? Can that happen, and can she and Tom live happily ever after in a depraved sort of way? Well, I don't think it's bad for, for you to be rooting for that. I think that's, that's kind of the point of the story, in a, in a way. And I hope you're right about Tom and Jess living happily ever after in a depraved sort of way. Although, I don't think you can make requests in the comment section. Our final comment comes from Quir12, who says, She is loving it, and five stars. Yes, Jess needs to experience one or more large crime figure cocks as they make her their pass-around girlfriend. She will love to be their three-hole fuck toy. She can get a big news story and get the best fucks of her life. Lol. <laughs> she will have made it. Wonderful story you have written. Thanks for time you take writing it. Cheers. 
no rock it on from Quir 12. Usually he, he tells us to rock it on. <laughs> That's a shame. But there we are. Again, very positive comments. If you're enjoying Undercover Stripper, then I want to encourage you to head over to literotica.com and search for the author UK underscore writer underscore 53. If you check out their profile, they have 131 different submissions, so there is plenty in the back catalogue for you to enjoy if you're finding yourself becoming a fan of theirs. While you're there, give them a rating, maybe write a little comment. You can also follow them on literotica.com if you want to stay up to date with the things that they post. If you're enjoying this podcast, then I want to encourage you to like and subscribe. Leave a review if you can do that on your podcast app. If you've got any friends, or maybe a lover, who you think might enjoy this podcast, and you haven't already told them about it, then please get out there and let them know what they're missing out on. That's the number one way that this podcast grows and spreads around the globe. It's in-person recommendations, so if you know someone in the real world who would really like this, then you should tell them about it. And if you're embarrassed to tell them face-to-face, maybe you should just rip off a tiny piece of paper and write the name of the podcast and explain that it's available on Apple Podcast and Spotify and basically wherever you get your podcasts and leave it for them in a place that they will find it. Maybe you could bake them a small cake with the notes sandwiched between the sponge. I also want to mention the Patreon page. There's a link in the description. £5 helps to support the podcast, to keep it going, to pay for equipment, to justify the amount of time I spend putting together weekly episodes for your listening pleasure. If you can afford to become a subscriber, I would very much appreciate your support. I'll be back next week with the seventh chapter of Undercover Stripper. Until then, have a lovely week, keep it sexy, rock it on, (laughs) and goodbye. Reveal all except the truth Undercover stripper Take off your clothes and move your body to distract the eye Nobody knows his own erection painfully hard as she gave the man they had both been looking for a hand job <laughs> uh, a hand job